What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of Elevate Your Grind brought to you by the Cannabis Lab. I'm your host, Todd Rosales, and it's excellent to be back here today. I think that's just what I'm going to say every time because I do love doing this show so much. Um, we have a great guest for you today, but before we get into that, of course, if you want to check out all things C-Lab, you can check those out at joincelab.com. Um, meetings are going to be third Thursday of every month. Uh, probably won't get this episode out before tomorrow's meeting, so you're going to miss tomorrow. So look to the third Thursday in August. They're going to be in Tampa, Orlando, Broward, and Miami, all at American Social. Come join us on the, I want to say, fourth Tuesday of every month for our morning coffee networkers. You can find those at jointclab.com. Of course, if you don't have the time to finish this interview and you want to catch it later, you can always find it on youtube.com slash elevate your grind, or you can find us on Apple or Spotify or any of the other disparate podcast platforms that people talk about. I don't think anyone uses anything besides Apple or Spotify. So those are the only two I'm going to mention. Um, <laughs> my guest today, my guest today is been in the legal cannabis industry for a long time. She is a business consultant in the legal cannabis industry. You probably recognize her from LinkedIn of all places. Maybe you've seen her on social media. She has no physical distinctive features about her that make her stand out versus <laughs> anybody else. Of course. Please welcome my guest today, Juliana Whitney, founder of Can Strategy. Juliana, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm sorry for saying that while you weren't on camera and to respond, but clearly, you know, <laughs> there is something about you that makes you stand out. Right. It's my really, my energy and my really good vibes. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I'm staring at right now. No, you know what the thing is, though? Like, I get it. Because there's always been someone in every industry I've worked with, and you know that person. And the weird thing about it is they're typically not an asshole. Like the person who does the thing a lot to stand out that gets known by that thing. Part of the reason why they're known by that thing is also because they're a good person or a kind person. So like I remember back in my tech days, there was this dude, he, would, he, he was a very high level person at a company called Tech Data. And he always wore a bow tie and he became known as the bow tie guy. But everyone also did business with him too. But it's like, oh, do you know Willie? Oh, Willie with the bow ties? Yeah, of course. So like, I see this as a pure <laughs> business advantage as long as you have everything else to back it up. Yeah, yeah. I have found it to be that thus far at least. Okay. <laughs> what um, Bow ties. I should have gone with bow ties. <laughs> probably a little bit like, you know, easier you know yeah but <laughs> i can't imagine that's 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 simple to maintain and i don't mean to make this all about your hair but i really do see that like the funny thing is i i, I did want to bring it up to you because i do see that as an advantage right like mm -hmm. in a small community like the cannabis community right now you are working with a lot of people and it's very i don't want to say people are dumb but when you say it's like oh do you know juliana well i know like five julianas which one is it like and it's all of a sudden the one with the pink hair oh of course i know her you know yeah. so that's where I see it being an advantage to you. Um, tell me, how did you get your start? Because as I understand it, I did a little bit of research on you. You've always had entrepreneurship in your blood. In fact, yeah. you, when you were young, you looked around the neighborhood and said, these lemonade stands are not doing it. I'm going to start a mini restaurant in my yard. Can you bring oh, us wow. back to that experience? I want to hear about this menu. Okay. So yes, I've always been really entrepreneurial. I don't know why. I just was like, oh, look cool. You can own businesses. Like people own all these things that we, you know, interact with every day. And so, yeah, there were, you know, bake sales and like lemonade stands. And so I just wanted to blow everyone out of the water. And I was like, I'm going to open a restaurant. I was like seven years old and I had this little play school table and chair. <laughs> and so I put it out under this big tree in the front yard and I made a menu that was all basically like bread, cheese, and meat. It was like, hot dogs, grilled cheese, maybe some French fries. I don't know. It was all greasy foods and then took over my mom's kitchen. Oh, there was definitely mac and cheese involved. <laughs> and I wrote out these menus, also made Kool-Aid, posted the menus like in the post office because I grew up in a tiny town. So in the post office, in the convenience store, <laughs> and then I actually got a delivery order called into the house and I went and delivered it to the store and then had a couple people come as customers, like in the front yard and eat at these tiny little kid chairs. <laughs> and then it was like a 48 hour venture. And then my mom was like, I'm over it. That's funny. <laughs> 
yeah, it was cool. That's cool. But those are the type of experiences I think that that are true entrepreneurs, right? Like I think that word today is is so overused to just anyone who who runs a business, right? Whereas I think there are people that love business and the, the, this industry is fil filled with ex wall street guys that kind of want something of their own. They, they like smoking weed, or maybe they just saw it as a business opportunity. And like a lot of these guys are just employees. I hate saying it that have replicated what they've done within big firms and are doing it again and nothing against them. But to me, the true scrappy entrepreneur is the person that is not totally connected to resources, but can be scrappy, can make things work, you know, um, and pull it off that way. And obviously with your restaurant, you get that experience, but you're like, oh, wait, this is how business works. I make these things. It costs me X. I sell it for Y. Now I'm sure profitability wasn't on the forefront of your mind in your front yard <laughs> restaurant, but um, you know, as you progress. So I look through your history and one of the things I see about you is, is multiple attempts at something. And I don't say that in a negative way. Like I know at one point you wanted to do a spa. Another point you, you started a nonprofit. I think for someone, there are a lot of us, and, and you can tell me if you fit into this category, where going through school and being told what to do doesn't really educate us. It's the doing it on our own and learning it from experience is how we learn. So to see you go down a path, maybe you, you were successful, maybe you failed, and you're like, you know, this, this isn't for me. Let me try this. I think that's truly the, the flagship of a true entrepreneur that is very diversified. They can kind of create businesses the way an artist creates a painting but it's maybe this isn't my style i can do this but it's not my style and, and to make it even more further complicated and confuse the fuck out of everybody are we five minutes <laughs> in can i say fuck yes okay good um youtube things is it's like you know all of a sudden you're sketching with pencils and you're good at it but you don't love sketching with pencils and then you go to watercolors and then all of a sudden you realize that you like photography Right. So I see that like an entrepreneur trying to find their medium. And I think that's kind of the journey you went on. Can you kind of share that experience with you, how you ultimately end up in cannabis that way? Absolutely. I fully relate to the artist metaphor, by the way. I'm always like, this is my art. It's not just about business. <laughs> um, and yeah, that is shown in kind of the trajectory of the way that I've just played around with different things. So I did think that clearly I thought I wanted a restaurant that didn't last long. Um, I thought that I wanted to own a spa. So I went and got my aesthetics. I full on went to school to learn how to like work in a spa. I was like, Oh, this is not it. I don't like all these health regulations. Um, did the nonprofit thing still have That's going to come back to shoot you in the foot regulations. I know. Yeah. Well, yeah. Now, now I'm like, I like these kind. Um, yeah. So then I did, uh, went to school, got went back to school after my kind of learning my salon stuff, did the nonprofit thing, still love that, still integrate it, but realize, wow, nonprofit work is so hard. And I would rather make like build wealth and support the people who do that. Because as you said, like, it's not for me <laughs> like, yeah. actually doing that work is so much work. Um, but I was blessed in my life to be uh, really allowed to just explore different ideas I had and see if that's where um, I could connect my purpose because I did know my whole life I've known, okay, I want, I know I want to build something. I know there's something about this business thing I like, could not for the life of me though, have pinpointed, you know, and they always ask you, what do you want to do? And I'd be like, have a business. Well, what kind? No idea, no clue. So yeah, I really needed that time to figure that out. And then of course, as it happens, like things just kind of connect and coincide. And I was getting my master's in business administration at the time was doing the nonprofit. My parents said, take a year or two off school. You're distracted building this nonprofit organization. You have to get a job. <laughs> and so I was like, cool, cool, cool. Did not want to look for a regular job. I've never wanted to be like a regular employee. Um, and then it just happened that family friends were opening the first dispensary ever in Vegas. And they said, you can work here. And I didn't ask many questions. I was like, okay, cool. That works. Whatever. I'll be here for a little while. I didn't have any interest in the cannabis industry. I had no interest in the product. I was so like, ugh, whatever. I got a job, I guess. Um, and then just fell in love with it because it's a whole startup industry, which makes the whole thing fun. Like everything's fun about it. 
because everything's new. <laughs> it does. It also makes it scary too. And I think that's one of the issues with the industry, right? And I think, you know, and, and not to, geez, we're already going into the negative side of things, but I like to just kind of talk about the <laughs> overall scope of the industry. Like, yeah. It's no secret that investment in the industry is down 97%. And I think the problem is, is you have good companies that are out there that are, are doing well and you know they've got good balance sheets and everything else. But the problem is, is a lot of these companies are dependent upon the health of their service providers and other partners too. So it's the health of the ecosystem, I think, is what's scaring people about getting into cannabis. Like if you look at California, right? I'm sure a lot of the brands that were working with Herbal were good, solid brands. Maybe some of them might have been cash flow positive or God forbid profitable. And, yeah. you know, they had to rely on the health. And in California, you have to do that. You have to rely on a distributor. So you have to rely on the financial health of your distributor to ensure that you're going to see the income from your efforts in that state, which is scary. So I agree with you. I love the fact that it's a startup. I think it makes people in this industry easier to work with. I think more fun to work with. I think we build better relationships with each other. Um, one thing I always try to tell people is the industry is small. It, sometimes you have to understand if someone wrongs you in business, it might've been what they were doing. But, and I don't mean wrongs, like if they fuck you over, they fuck you over. But if someone is ghosting you or something, it might just be with the health of their company. And you've got to try to maintain good relationships if those people were good to you most of the time. So I agree with you. It is fun, but it's also scary. Yeah, there's a lot to navigate. And I think that understanding that it is a startup world is important and that some people come into it seeing it as though it's already really refined and got, you know, all the corporate structures in place and the kind of rules to the game. And that's just not the case. So it's, I find the people who can pivot quickly, who have adaptability intelligence and who, you know, are creative and can are gritty, as you said, uh, thrive much better than anyone who comes in this other type of person you said from, you know, an, uh, another industry that had all the rules in place, all the years, you know, set in place and um, wants this industry to be that too. And that I can only imagine is anxiety ridden. If you're like, I want this thing to work like normal. And it's like, that's not going to happen. <laughs> you need to be able to like work with it, build it. You know, this whole plane is still flying. Like we're still building it. <laughs> yeah. No, people who are the unfortunate part is people that are relying on changes in legislation and regulation for their, their business to succeed. Like you're yeah. doing it wrong. Unfortunately, I, I <laughs> all wish we can operate that way. Um, I want to get back to your journey because I think it's a real inspirational one. I think it's really cool for a lot of folks out there in and outside of the cannabis space, right? You know, you started as a front desk slash bud tender in the industry and the, look at where yeah. you are now, focusing on two of the largest markets in cannabis, doing strategy and things of that nature, both Florida and New York. Um, and we'll get there. What and, and and I'm making some assumptions here just based on my research that I've done. So if I'm wrong, correct me. But to me, you're not a classically trained business person. Yes, you went and got your MBA, but you you did it after doing business, after kind of getting going through yeah. the, the the school of hard knocks, right? So mm -hmm. for someone like you, you talk about taking time off from college, you talk about trying this, trying that. You know, yeah. early on in society, we're kind of taught like, oh, well, she doesn't have her shit together. She doesn't know what she's doing. She, maybe she's not going to like teachers and, and guidance counselors would say shit about people like that. Right. Um, yep. Where in, in reality is, I think you're as you're young, figuring out what works for you and what doesn't for some people who do what they're told, follow the playbook. And then all of a sudden they're, you know, 37, 40, 45. They've been working in one job their whole life. They're fucking miserable and they don't know what else they're going to do. Like. At that point, you've got a mortgage, you've got kids, you've got preschool, you've got all this shit that you've got to pay for, and you don't have the ability to be flexible. So I say that to say, talk to me about young Juliana and what you were like, you know, were you a creative? Did you have a big imagination? You know, were you always curious? Tell me about some of the qualities you had when you were younger that you think kind of contributed to who you are today. I was an observer. So I was pretty shy, actually. I was really quiet. I would like hide behind my mom's leg if we were at events and just always watching people. So I was very much that like 
let me see what's going on and understand all the pieces. And then I will engage with the situation. Um, at the same time, I was also just a wild, I was wild. Like I wouldn't let my parents brush my hair. It got crazy. They had to like, like struggle me down. <laughs> um, I was, I would wear like different shoes and I had like the craziest colored clothes. And I think my mom did not care about fashion. So I never got to be like, Oh, I'm going to fit in. Like fitting in was not about to happen for me. Um, and I was a dancer, so I did ballet, I did jazz, but ultimately I did competitive hip hop dancing by the time I was in high school. I was a theater major in my first high school. Um, so I was always really into performance art more so. I'm not great at drawing at all. Um, and really focused on things I like doing. So I was always like, if, if I'm not into it, I don't want to do it because it's like, oh, you have to. And I know that now, like on the grand scheme of my life vision, but even when I was young, I knew it then, like, do I have to do this? I'm going to need a real good reason why, because I don't like it. And so <laughs> I've always been like steadfast to that point. Um, so it was very much that my mom, basically, I told her, I was like, thank you so much for raising me. I was so just crazy, you know? And she's like, Oh no, no. She's like, you didn't give us a choice as to whether we just let you be like, you forced us to just let That's you funny. be. And I was like, okay, cool. Got uh, it. That makes more sense. But isn't a business for, you know, isn't a pitch meeting or a presentation just performance art anyway? Yeah. A hundred. I mean, I, I experienced that all the time, actually, as I was, just like you said, people will tell you, you know, you're not doing the right thing. Like as you're, growing up, I was told like, I wasn't the person that could do what I wanted to do. And I was very focused on, okay, well, who is that person? And then when I'm told that person is this sharky wall street business dude, well, then I'm like, I'm not that person. And there's yeah. no way I'm going to be that person. So how do I become my version of what can do what I want to, I'm like, I know I can do what I want to do, but I also know I can't be that. So what, what is the version of me that gets to do what I want to do? Um, so there was a lot of figuring, figuring that kind of thing out. That's really cool. But no, I agree. You know, we look at people in business and like, yeah, pitch meeting to me is performance art. I think the only reason yeah. that I'm half good at sales is because I'm a good storyteller. Right. And as long as I have good contents to fill that story with, with a good company, I can tell that story to anyone. So, yeah. um, as you were going through your entrepreneurial journey, right? Because it did start at the front desk being a bud tender for a cannabis company. What yes. what was your network like to you? What was your, so you know, did you have people who are like, and again, I don't know how old you were at this time, but people that were worried about your career path when you had, you know, you had taken a couple stops elsewhere. Was there negativity around you? Was that hard for you to deal with? Did you have to block it out? Did you have people that are like, you're doing the right thing. You're going to figure it out. This is just, you know, an educational step. I mean, you did go and get your MBA. That is a very impressive, not easy, you know, thing to do, but yeah. also you, you truly started from the entry point into the industry. Yes, I did. Um, I, if anyone was hard on me about where I was in life, it was, I was hard on me. I was like, why haven't you figured it out? Like, what is going on? Why is this taking so long? Um, and then kind of feeling like, yeah, like when I would talk to people where, uh, you know, what I was doing, where I was going, it was kind of clear. I was a little like, not totally clear, like what, what was really going on in my life. But in terms of the cannabis thing, no one was worried about that. Um, my parents, I think, as I told you, they say that I really like forced them to just let me be me. So they may have been deeply concerned that I had randomly started a nonprofit organization and then wanted to go to school. And then now is the campus, <laughs> but they tried not to express that, um, express that too much. And then, yeah, I started ground floor and was like, I thought I'd be so much further by now. And not knowing that this was like this seed that was going to grow into where I was going to, you know, was going to be my thing, like the thing I'd been looking for. But to me, it was what the heck, man? Well, I'm in what industry? What am I even doing? Well, I'm working literal front desk. I mean, I, <laughs> I was like, but it was definitely me. I was the hardest on me. No. And that's great to be, to be on the forefront of the industry. You get to see a lot of stuff and experience a lot of stuff that a lot of others didn't. Right. Or just that yeah. eventually becomes common knowledge. The other yeah. thing, 
I read is that you got your first client while you were still in that job from a, yeah. from a consulting standpoint. So at what point, you know, and again, I say this all out of respect and we can romanticize this because you are where you are now, but at what yeah. point does the front desk slash bud tender click and say, wait a second, I can do better than this. I can tell other people how to run this place. How do you connect those dots and be able to figure that out? You know, I, I think it has something to do with what you said, being an observational person. Mm -hmm. So it had to be with, it had to do with me going in there already thinking I can do better than this. Like, I know I can do better than this. I should be owning these places while I'm front desk. I'm like, okay, so I see this gap in like where I am and where I'm trying to be in life, you know? So I'm already operating from that mindset. And then as I'm in this operation, one of the blessings of starting a new market and a new company is that you do everything. So I was working every single position um, and really observing, like you said, and I mean, I remember I would like take notes, like, here's how this could be done better. Here's the flaws in this. Here's what, you know, like just really absorbing everything, learning everything. It didn't even click for me totally. Um, I would do pitches to the COO and I'd be like, hey, we can hire better if we use, you know, this kind of process. Can we try it? And he would let me try it. I'm just That's like, cool. can I try this? Um, and then a friend at the dispensary is like, Cause I still had it in my head. Like I, I'm, I meant for something else. I've got to figure that out. Got to figure that out. And then he said, you can take anything you're good at and that you love and apply it to this industry and make it work. And that's when it clicked. And I looked around and I was like, oh, I love consulting. I'd consulted before. I love startups. I love launching companies. I love strategy, love solving like everything in this industry. Oh my gosh. Like he opened my eyes. It's literally perfect for all of these things. Um, and I've been put in this privileged position to like learn all of these things at this point in this store, in this market. So that's when it really clicked. And I had a friend at the time who was owned the consulting firm that launched the store where I started. And so I was like, I can do that. I can do what he does. <laughs> so decided to figure it out, which was a little crazy, honestly, but I didn't know how crazy that was. You know, it might seem crazy at the time, but you know, I'm <laughs> curious to know because that attitude can go one of two ways and it went to the right, right way for you. And I think if people use it the way that you did, it's great, right? No, yeah. going in there, knowing that you're meant for better things or believing that you're better meant for better things or that you're not where you want to be. You know, a lot yeah. of people do go in with that attitude, but they take the opposite approach and they kind of act like I'm too good for the shit you're asking me to do. And they become shitty employees. How do yeah. you take that more humbled approach where it's, I'm here. This is what I'm doing now. I know I'm meant for more, but I'm going to figure out how I take where I am now and turn it into more versus having that fuck this. I need to figure something else out because this is not it for me. Like, how do you spin that into a positive to, to propel you? And I think that's something a lot of people are missing. I think that I knew I had to be there. <laughs> But also my mindset belief is that really any of really any negative thought, even if it's meant to propel you away from something, I think can suck you into the negative more so and like bring you down more. So if I'd been like so Eeyore about it, like, oh, I'm better than this. Why am I here? You know, I really also believe in taking responsibility that like I'm here. It has something to do with me. Like if anyone got me here, it's me. If I'm stuck at this level, that's on me. Like, and if I want to get to where I want to go, that's also on me. And what are my strengths and my strengths are, I'm really good at learning. I'm really good at observing. I'm really good at synthesizing information and I'm really good with people. And so I just leaned into those and honestly, maybe not the best employee. Like we had cleaning bathrooms on that checklist. You better believe I never did that. I never <laughs> always push that off on someone else. I was like, you are not paying me enough. And I actually tell clients that now too, though. I'm like, don't you dare put that on their checklist. You are not paying them enough. Get a cleaning lady. Um, so I, you know, I pay it back. I That's follow through on my beliefs. <laughs> That's great. I'm not sure if you've read the concept of this show is a different person comes on and gives me therapy every week. So I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> No, it, it's like I said, I think you're, I think, you know, they're the, the part, part of the reason why I started this podcast is to tell stories like yours to the general public, right? Because 
There is yeah. stigma around this industry, the stigma around this plant, but just people in general, right? We grow up with these attitudes of people and how they are when they're young and they don't know what they're talking about. But then all of a sudden we read the books of these people when they're 40, 50, 60, and we romanticize the journey, the struggle, the failure yeah. and the second chances. It's like, well, you shit on them when they were going through that journey, but now you celebrate them because the, the story ended up the end. Like maybe if we just had more empathy for people, there would be more success stories. I love that. I love that. Um, I definitely, I, I agree with that a hundred percent. I think going through my journey and now being able to tell it, it's that you're right. It sounds like Oh, and then I fell into the cannabis industry. I didn't even know I wanted to be there. And then I realized, wow, this is great. And then I left the company and found a client. <laughs> like, sounds cool. It was like so emotionally draining and terrifying and like just turbulent and in no way uh, something I would even suggest anyone else take on. <laughs> like, anytime yeah. I can ask, you know, I'm like, don't do it how I did it. It worked out, but I wouldn't suggest it. Um, yeah, so finding kind of that more empathy. And anytime I find someone younger who's like kind of hard on themselves about, you know, where they are, what they're doing, whatever, I always try to try to highlight kind of that. Like, well, you're going through it and you're doing it and you're willing to face that. You're not just saying, oh, I'll follow whatever the rules are and what people are telling me to do because that seems easier, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, so having that empathy, I totally agree. It's, it's, I, I always try to show people and, and by no means do I have any great accomplishments, but the, the poem or whatever it is, the man in the arena, because, yeah. and I don't know if you're familiar, but that, you know, that's the truth. Like there, everybody who tends to talk shit is someone who's not taking that risk themselves. Anybody who's been through it, like you might make a couple jokes because we all love being funny, but you know, you empathize with that person more. It's funny. I just recently had a, a a conversation with my dad about this show and it not being monetized and he's like you know you've been doing it for three years i'm like well rogan didn't get his deal to like seven eight years in so as i see it i'm about four or five years away from my 400 million dollar contract um <laughs> like, i'm doing great <laughs> <laughs> i'm like i'm almost there so but we flash forward to today you've got two businesses that you've founded and started can strategy and leaf sheets and yeah. you know you have recently moved to the west coast of florida to join our burgeoning industry down here and you're focused on yeah. new york so at what point in time do you look at what you're doing and leave although you know an entry-level job in the industry paychecks come with security benefits come with security you know yeah. it's there you know it shows up every at least for the most part in the cannabis industry there are some questions about that but the paycheck shows up every other week right you know that the the building you have to go to, you know the tasks that need to be done, and you know someone's telling you you're going doing a good job or not, right? To go mm -hmm. to the uncertainty of consulting, especially in a nascent industry where it's how how long is my knowledge that I have right now really going to be put me in an advantage before it comes commonplace? And how do I stay on the leading edge? You know, what point in time do you make that decision to take that leap of faith where you're like, this is what I'm going to do full time. And this is who I am. And this is my, as you say, masterpiece. My masterpiece. <laughs> uh, so decision, let's see. I had, um, you know, I was meeting all of the owners of all the companies in Vegas and was figuring out, okay, I think I can do this whole business thing. This, um, I think I can start one of these. I think I didn't know that I could get them licensed. That wasn't even on my mind. It was really like starting them, fixing the operations, all of those things. I was meeting all the owners, met an owner that had a store that wasn't open. And every time I would see them, it still wasn't open. So I just said, Hey, will you let me try to open this? Cause I knew I should probably test if I could do what I thought I could do. Um, it turned out I could, it got their store open. They now have seven locations. I'm very proud of them for that. Um, help them open their first one. And then I got offered ownership in cannabismagazine.com. And I also had another potential actually like paying client and I'm early in business, right? So I don't know, like that check doesn't even exist until it's cashed in your account. Like it's yeah. not even real. Didn't know that. I'm like, I got a potential paying client, you know? And so I went to the COO because it was always really big 
um, to me to be transparent with him about what I was doing. I didn't want it to be, oh, I'm consulting, opening another company and working here and like being secretive. So I went just to tell him, hey, I have ownership in CannabisMagazine.com. I have this potential client. He thought I was quitting. I was just being transparent. And he was like, oh, okay, well, will you at least give me two more weeks? And all my pride, I just went, yes, yep, of course. Oh, my God. So you <laughs> so quit accidentally. I accidentally quit. I accidentally quit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, okay. Yeah, for sure. And um, yeah, I had no, I lost my health insurance. I didn't have health insurance again for a year. Uh, I didn't have income. Thank goodness. That client did not sign. So thank goodness, like a month later, a client signed. And in the interim, the business partner I had then was really good at saving. So he literally had to float me for a whole month until we signed this client. So I went from making like $12 an hour to it's four to eight weeks later, signing an $80,000 client. Wow. And I was like, there's just this huge jump, but in the middle was literal. Like, am I going to survive? What is going on? I had, you know, a vision in my head, but no like actual deal on the table. Um, so I kind of made the decision and also the decision kind of just showed up for me and my pride was, I was not about to be like, oh no, I wasn't quitting. Cause I don't think this is actually going to work. I was like, yeah, you're right. It's going to work. I'm, I guess I'm out of here. It's time. That's, so that was that. that's incredible. You just kind of, yeah. that is kind of the definition of everything happens for a reason. You're like, I'm not quitting, but shit, you think yeah. I'm quitting. Uh, I'm, this is I'm awkward. Quitting. Yep. Sure. I'm quitting. Yeah. And then in terms of choosing consulting, it was the lowest uh, barrier to entry. Honestly, it was, I was like, okay, cool. So a leaf sheets, I had that idea then. I had the leaf sheets idea then. It's a lot of tech. It's a lot of time building out. Didn't have the uh, resources for that. My other one was I'd love to own just an awesome chain of dispensaries nationally. Didn't have the resources for that. Uh, and then it was consulting. It was, well, I love to launch companies, build strategy, plan businesses. I love scaling strategies. And so um, and you don't need any resources to do that other than your brain really. And then a network. So that I went with that. That's how I chose that. I, I have a theory that certain people make better consultants than they do employees. And I don't, I, I say that for the fact that when you're a consultant, so how do I say this the right way to explain it? So I've been in many situations where I've interviewed for a company for the leader, you know, to be the leader of the sales organization or the revenue generating organization or that side of it. During the yeah. interview process, I pitch them on ideas or my plan of how I would do this to accomplish the goals of what they're looking to do. During the interview process, there is a huge buy-in. They love it. It's the greatest thing in the world. When I transition from interviewee to employee, I get extreme amounts of pushback. And mm -hmm. everything that I pitched or everything gets changed to a way where it's completely opposite to the point where I'm like, wait a second, this isn't, this isn't what we talked about. This isn't what we discussed. This is not the best way to do it. I told you what I wanted to do. You supported it then. And then yeah. it kind of comes the balance between picking your battles of what you need to do to be successful versus politicking to make sure that you have job security and that you're not just going to piss somebody off because it's not their idea. Right. Yeah. Which sucks. When you're a consultant, they're paying you for your opinion, whether they agree with it or not. I hate to say that, and I don't mean to say it in a crude way, but you're like, this is what I'm recommending, and these are the results. And because you don't work for them, they're kind of like, all right, we're either going to do it or we're not. So you get to kind of, you don't have to pick your battles at that point. You're like, this is what you're hiring me to do. We're either going to do this or we're not going to do it. And that's how it's going to go. So do you think that you kind of had that advantage? And because I know that that happens with me, right? When I do a consulting agreement, I don't want to say my attitude is different, but I'm a, it's a lot easier for me to be like, no, this is how we should do it. And this is why we should do it. I'm still going to consider all your options because you have the experience. But in my mm -hmm. experience, this is what we should do versus being an employee where it's like, all right, I guess I'll do it your way. So this way I have to prove you wrong by failing for me to do it my way or something along those lines. Yes, I do think some people are definitely better. Um, in the consulting role, I'm definitely one of those people. You know, employee level, it's, and what I find with a lot of employees, it's they don't feel like they're listened to. Leadership doesn't take them seriously, even though I still stand by, like, listen to your bud tenders. Like, they know so much more about your company than you realize as an executive. Like, these people know, like, what is going on. <laughs> like, yeah. Day to day. 
Um, but if they're not getting listened to, then you're missing out on that, um, on that insight, you know, and case in point, you know, I was with one company that's paying me like $12 an hour to run around, wants me to clean toilets and <laughs> do sales. And, uh, then a couple months later, someone's paying me to help them open their business. So, um, yeah. And it's interesting too, because as a consultant, there's just that different dynamic. I almost always see it as, uh, like I'm an extension of the executive team and just kind of helping them see a bigger picture or, you know, add to the intelligence that they already have and see things from, from a different light or in more depth or something. Uh, and then as an employee, they don't see that they see hierarchy and they see, you know, you do what I say and that kind of thing. Um, and uh, man, that's hard. Like, even as I talk about that kind of thing, I feel it in my body, like, oh, like yeah. I, I don't think any sense of security is worth that feeling. Like, I don't care if I'm getting a paycheck, if that's how I have to feel, it's not happening. It's not happening. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. It's, it's interesting yeah. in that manner. And I've definitely seen it in the past. Um, you know, it, it's weird. I've, I've seen it where I've been a consultant and they listen to your opinion and they bring you on full time and they don't listen to your opinion anymore. It's like, wait a second, you know? Oh you, yeah. All of a sudden you take taxes out of my paycheck and I'm, I'm not as smart as I was prior. I mean, maybe so because I can get, you know, I pay less taxes as a 1099, but I understand where you're coming from. You'd view me less. Um, yeah. <laughs> so you start, you transition out of your entry-level role into this consultant role. You start helping open up yeah. dispensaries. You, yeah. if I recall correctly, were asked to help write applications for three licenses. You went three for three, at least mm -hmm. initially. I'm sure you have a different record by now. How do you start <laughs> looking at the business and getting to a point like, where is it? Where does the business stop being Juliana and start being hand strategy because a lot of consultants in my opinion yeah. or my experience their business is them and their biggest struggle i say this with some entrepreneurs and, and i get hate for it because one of them happens to be my dad but some entrepreneurs happen to create really good jobs for themselves but they're still beholden to that job and others create companies and the ones who create companies can take three weeks off and not worry if they're coming back to an imploded business. Right. Whereas the ones that create businesses that they have to be there all the time, I'm sorry, you, you created a job for you. It's a phenomenal job and you don't really have to listen to anybody, but you got to be there all the time because you don't have the structure in place for it to be a company. So I say that to say, at what point do you look at the business and take it beyond just Juliana and make it can strategy where it's the company. If you removed yourself at some point could still function without you, or are you even there yet? I, so this, I love this point you've made because I definitely on the, you know, in real life had to learn it. My first consulting firm was actually called the J Whitney group. <laughs> and I had a whole crew. I had a co-founder. I had like five or six employees, you know, then we had the people we contract and, um, every client wanted to work directly with me because of my name. Um, and I was the one they were, would get sold on. They were like, oh yeah, we want to work with her, you know? So they didn't want to work with the team or at least they wanted me part of it all the time. Uh, when I left that business, I was like, okay, I want a business that at some point can exist outside of me. It's autonomous. And so that's why I went with Can Strategy at that point. Um, but then I was rebuilding at that point. So it was a lot of just me. And then I contract, start contracting consultants. Uh, and honestly, right now, cause it was 2019 when I finally departed from my previous firm, then 2020 hits. Right. So I'm like building a new firm, <laughs> but, but it's 2020. So there's not much going on. Yeah. Um, and then yeah. So it's really just now I'm like bringing on more team members. I'm a big believer for consulting firms, especially that do like licensing and different uh, projects in different parts of the verticals that I love to have a set of contractors that I work with who each have a different specialty because I don't want to hire one person that's like a blanket consultant if they're not super specialized in, you know, a processing facility. That's not as useful to me as knowing, okay, I have these three people I work with for this type of business. Um, 
So I follow that model and I'm still really building it to be like, people don't need to work directly with me. So we've started, I build it in the packages now and explicitly say like, okay, at this tier, you get to work with me at this tier. You will see me sometimes like, and you will work with this person. This tier gets you a cardboard cutout of me in your office. (laughs) Exactly. I'll record my voice for you. Um, so I'm still building that. I definitely am. And I agree with you. You can build a job for yourself. And I started to feel that. And, and then I have to strategize for myself. Um, I started out initially with the Jay Whitney group because my intent was always to have a company. Like I don't want, I've always wanted a firm. I've never just wanted to be me tooting along, you know, um, project to project. And then I always have it in my head though. One, how do I turn this consulting firm into a firm that doesn't need me all the time? And two, how do I build my next business in the cannabis industry that is not related to me at all? other than people who know I'm part of it, but if you looked at it, you wouldn't know. Um, And that it's more passive revenue and that's where we got leaf sheets from. And then then my next step is how do I build something outside of this industry? How do I start to diversify the businesses that I have and the revenue streams that I have? Um, And so that's always on my mind too, to genuinely like build wealth and build freedom. I feel even though I'm still doing much of canned strategy, I feel a great sense of freedom because I love what I do um, and I find it really fun and I'm doing what I want to do, but I think there's still more to that. And so <laughs> that's kind of the trajectory. I'm figuring that out still to an extent. I'm adding on to it to build the next steps of it. It's a process. I would consider yourself a great success at this point, even if you're fully involved in can strategy and doing a lot of the work yourself, if you have the ability to say no to projects when when you have the ability when someone (laughs) approaches you with something and it's a considerable amount of money and you can look at that project and be like um i don't want to do that i don't feel the need to do that i don't think i'd be happy doing that the answer is no that is a freedom that i think most entrepreneurs never really get to or never really want to get to they 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 feel an obligation to the health and the revenue of the business. But part of the reason that you become an entrepreneur, if you become an entrepreneur, just to be wildly rich and successful, you're going to have a hard time succeeding versus being an entrepreneur to just being able to live life on your terms and do what you love. That's when you have success. So I would say if you're at a point where you can get approached by projects that you're just like, I don't want to do that. And you can say no to it. I would call that a success. Yeah. Thanks. That took a while to get to. I, and even like in your mind, it takes a while to get yourself to be able to do that, to just say, oh no, or like to, especially with consultants, when you have control over your pricing to like, if someone can't pay what you want them to pay to just be like, okay, cool. Then we're, then it's a no, you know, (laughs) even that just owning that sticking to it. I'm like, that took a while, but I'm, I'm so, so, so grateful. Um, and it's funny because the first few people that I was like, you know, I don't think, um, I'm the best fit you know, but I might have an introduction. So shocked. They were so shocked. They're like, what? It is what it is. You know, I've done that a a few times. I've been approached (laughs) by several people like, Hey, can you do this for us? Can you do this for us? And I'll be a hundred percent honest with them. I'll look at them sometimes. I'll be like, listen, I could say yes. And I can make you happy. And it would probably make this conversation a whole lot shorter because there'd be no follow-up questions from you. But I can't actually give you the amount of time that you're looking for me to do to do to make any kind of an impact of what you're looking to do. So I'm going to say no. And they're like, but you know, there's no bubble. I'm I'm just going to say no. So this way you don't get pissed off when I don't do the thing that you expect me to do. So it's been a journey. Um, It is a journey. Tell me more about where the company is. Let's talk about leaf sheets real quick, too, because this is really cool to me. You know, a lot of people coming into this and like no two industry, no, no two markets across the country are really alike, but there are a lot of similarities to them and what, and as I understand it, cause I didn't even realize that you were involved in really cheap. So that was one yes! of your goals. Um, <laughs> I happened to catch it in one of the art. Cause I heard the leaf sheets podcast and you were on it. I didn't know that you <laughs> leaf sheets. And then I read something. Oh shit. That's why she was on that. So, um, let's talk about it to me it's almost like a legal zoom for the cannabis industry where it's like hey here are a group of standardized documents if you need them 
mm-hmm. and correct me with this, but they're 98% done. You just got to dot the I's, cross the T's to your particular market. This yeah. is really freaking cool. Now, obviously in some markets like this stupid one that we live in, um, and I can take that opinion because I've been here long enough to talk shit about it. You know, most of the people coming in here have ridiculously expensive lawyers with marble offices in Manhattan overlooking Central Park on retainer because of how much it costs to get a license here. But in normal states where they let real entrepreneurs come in and play, you know, I see that being one of the absolute best resources that they can have. Thank you for saying that. And yes, you described it perfectly. It's standard operating procedures, you know, the plans that every single state asks for on applications. And these plans have won licenses. They've been utilized to win licenses and they come with do-it-yourself guides so you can cross the T's and dot the I's (laughs) and um, customize them for your state. But we're actually, like for New York right now, we're customizing it pre-customizing it essentially. So it'll have all the regulations in it for New York. And so then people in New York can just download all the leaf sheets documents for their applications in New York and really just make any edits they want that are custom to their business model. Uh, But as far as regulations go, it'll be solid. So that's the direction we're going. But I yes, leaf sheets, I think it's really scalable Um, with what we've planned for additions to it. It has longevity. So that's always important. I think you mentioned earlier, like knowing at what point is this, um, you have to know when you might be obsolete. Yeah. Um, You know, and for instance, licensing consulting, licensing consultants, uh, it works now, it won't work always. And so that's why can strategy focuses a lot on operations, right? I think can strategy at some point will be mainly in operations, a cannabis business operations consulting firm. Um, And then leaf sheets, as far as the kind of the licensing piece, I was like, oh, I wonder if it's the case that licensing is going to, licensing consulting isn't going to be so valuable. I wonder if I could make it obsolete. (laughs) Like, I wonder if I could build the thing that takes it out, you know? And um, so that was a little my goal with leaf sheets. Like, if this thing can really be simplified, if this part of this is um, you know, can be more accessible to the entrepreneurs who would call me when I'm, you know, charging X amount of money, there's no way they can afford to work with me and definitely not other consultants or law firms, but how do I give them a chance? Because I mean, as we just talked about my, my entrepreneurial story is like, I had, I was starting really with nothing. And so how do I help people who are in that boat too, who really have a goal? Um, I'm hoping leaf sheets is that right now. And then it's just going to get cooler. We're doing a capital raise at the moment. Well, planning for it. It's not in process. <laughs> We're planning for a capital raise. Um, and then we'll move the company forward. But literally that company has just been me and one business partner and we put everything together and now it's like, okay, we need more people or this is really going absolutely nowhere. <laughs> so <laughs> that's where we are. Yeah. That's the problem. When you start looking at more than one business or more than one activity, it's like, you know, that if you worked on it in a vacuum, you're like, I could take this where it needs to go, but you don't work in a vacuum anymore. You've got another functioning business. So I think that's very big of you and and mature of you to kind of take a step back. I think a lot of people don't do this. I think a lot of entrepreneurs, they're used to grinding it out, scrapping it out, staying up for three days in a row and figuring it out on their own. I mean, I started this podcast that way. It's been until recently that I finally have a couple of friends that will help me on on-site production, video editing, social media, that kind of stuff. And it's been a world like I, I can't ever get this to a place where it doesn't need me because I have to be the one on camera until we master deep fake. But until that <laughs> moment happens, you know, I'll have to be a part of it. Um, it's I think it's a very mature step in your entrepreneurial process to say, okay, we need to put these resources into this business in order to get to where it needs to be versus just that dying on the cross of we can do this on our own. We don't need anybody else. We're going to scratch and claw it, especially for somebody who scratched and clawed for their first business. Yeah. It's uh, it's not glamorous. And I think I had to learn that, that there's, if you, care about your company. I always like to see businesses as like living creatures. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm like, this is the thing you're responsible for growing and it thriving and it becoming better and better. Uh, You are only doing a disservice by making it entirely reliant on you. 
um, and your limited abilities as a you know one human being. And so figuring out how do you balance you know your financial resources that you have to feed this business with your human resources? How do you make it all work together so that this whole thing turns out the best? And yeah, part of that is saying like I'm not it. I like there needs to be other people. I I, I can't tell you my goal in life is to found and create multiple businesses that no longer need me. And that will be the greatest day of my life. If I can get like five or six now, granted, I would love to be the majority shareholder of all those businesses, but reality, (laughs) I don't know if that's going to happen, but if I can have like five businesses that I had a part in launching, I have a piece of, and they don't need me anymore. And I can take that profit share and go off to an Island somewhere, dear diary. (laughs) But and that's, that's my interest. I, I was a creative growing up. I still am a creative. I found a way in the business world to become a creative. And I think, I think there are a lot of folks like that. I think true startup entrepreneurs are creatives at heart. They're not process-driven. They're not well-organized. Those people we find on our journey to take all the craziness in our head and put it into a filing cabinet or a cubby system or a document library and help us yep. take crazy and turn it into real thousand percent. That's my exact experience of life. <laughs> I totally agree. <laughs> and I've also, I've become a lot better with like making things into processes because I needed to, you know, and like really becoming more structured, but my actual nature way back when I was younger was there was no structure to be, so, to be seen. <laughs> so we go, we go full circle at the end of your career, you're retiring. Do you start a food truck to go back to your first business? <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, now I think I might. That's a great idea. Um, it's actually funny because now that I live in Tampa, I've had all these little like, oh, you know what we could, what we could bring here. We could do this ice cream place. Like I have all these restaurant ideas. Suddenly it's so funny. Um, retirement. I don't even totally relate to that concept, but no. I feel like, you know, I'll be, who knows traveling, doing crazy lady things. I'll have like glitter eyebrows or something. There you go. <laughs> I well, so I know I've kind of kept you a little bit longer than I, that I had promised on keeping you and you're in beautiful Key Largo right now. and got to head to Miami oh tonight. Um, tell us about the future of your business. You got a big focus on Florida now. We have 22 new licensees coming in, yeah. potentially more after lawsuits, depending. Um, new York is about to blow up too, I think. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think I know, and anybody can argue with me, top three markets five years from now, hands down, California, New York, Florida, everyone else, not a chance. Um, and if California doesn't restructure and figure out how to better do their industry, I don't know how big it's going to be because it's all going to fall back into the black market or who knows what will happen. And that that scares the shit out of me. Um, but New York and Florida, I believe, will be up there, especially on 2024, Florida goes wreck. So tell me about the future of can strategy of leaf sheets. What, what, what does your future bring? Okay. My immediate future <laughs> for these companies, uh, can strategy operationally is really focused on Florida and New York at the moment, Florida, especially for these new licensees to set up the companies, get them launched scale. I've been stoked on Florida because of the model here that you can have so many stores. I'm like, oh my gosh, you could really build a cool, pretty large footprint um, in the industry, just in this one state. So right now focusing on Florida for that reason to ideally help some of these new licensees to just start something incredible um, in this, what is I'm learning gorgeous state. Uh, And then New York focusing currently can strategy. We're doing licensing with a lot of companies and then we'll work with them on launching their operations and building, building their greatness in New York. Um, and leaf sheets, hardcore, hundred percent, totally focused on New York. I think we're going to slay in New York, like <laughs> so hard. I'm so excited because it's so many people are going to apply a lot of small business, you know, entrepreneurial people in that state, especially in the city. So we're really targeting New York for that. And then Minnesota will target in 2024. That should be another cool market for leaf sheets, especially. Um, and then, yeah, just modeling can strategy into the most well-known, well-respected operational consulting firm for the cannabis industry and leaf sheets, just the, you know, coolest business support platform you've ever seen. And that's, that's that. 
do you have any desire to try to work with the government to help with regulations in that sense? Not that I even know how the fuck somebody would do that. <laughs> how but, that works. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I would, I would do it. I haven't, um, it's not something I've sought out necessarily, but it is something that I think I would enjoy advising on from an operational perspective, because a lot of regulations get put in place that just don't make sense in the day-to-day operation of these businesses that they're trying to regulate. So if I could give a perspective, um, that kind of operational perspective on it, I would love to do that. I think we need it. I think the more people that are actually in the industry and dealing with it and dealing with multiple markets, because my biggest fear is the government doing federal legalization and taking out on themselves to figure out how to do it when nobody else has figured it out yet. So, yeah. Oh yeah. And they have no clue what's going on. (laughs) They're like, well, um, yeah, that could be fun too, you know? And then also I, because of my performing arts love, I've always wanted to be like a motivational speaker and write books and just inspire people because it's the number one compliment I get my whole life is that, oh, you've inspired me, something like that. And I love that. So also I want to do something with that. Very in cool. the future. So I will work on that stuff. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I, I, I commend you. I, the only thing I can do is sit here and talk behind a microphone and give my unsolicited opinion. Um, other You're than that. So good at it. I try. I do it a lot. Yeah. Three and a half years. You're researching. I mean, I'm like, where did you find that information? <laughs> You've done a lot of it's so for someone like you, I gotta be honest, it's easy. You've done a lot of media. So, like, yeah. you know, what I try to do is I try to take the best of what every other person has taken out of you. I also try to avoid talking about the same things that you've talked about on every other show. So, like, my strategy is to figure out what your strategy is and then work around that. So, yeah, like, I, I work very closely. With, I work. <laughs> closely with a couple PR firms. And what I've always noticed is they have their talking points. They have what they talk about. They have their go-to story that they'll tell. And then when they do the press roadshow, like every single interview turns out the same. So what I always try to do is I always try to find like a different nugget. I love the childhood stuff. Like, so I know you're new to Florida. So there is this guy. So I I did 10 and I'm going to let you go here in a second, but, um, I did 10 episodes of a podcast for an IT firm as job security because it was during the pandemic and we weren't selling anything. So I'm like, I could do something so they don't fire me. So I did a podcast and I had the the honor of interviewing a gentleman by the name of Brian Norcross, who, if you don't know who he is, he got famous during uh, Hurricane Andrew. He was the only meteorologist to stay on air throughout the entirety of the hurricane. They built an emergency broadcasting system and he saved lives. He basically got in the air and said, stay with us. If you do, if you go outside the house, if you don't listen to what we're telling you, you are going to die. Like this is serious. And this is before we had all these, uh, um, you know, early warning systems and tracking systems and things like that. So very famous for that. What people don't know about Brian, what I was able to discover is one of his first jobs in broadcasting was at this little news station outside in Nashville, Tennessee. And literally the night before he was supposed to start at the news station, there was a blizzard but because of where he was staying, he was one of the only people able to get to the news station. And he and the broadcaster went on the air and they broadcasted during this blizzard. And he, at the end of that, was like, you know, I haven't got to tell that blizzard story in like 18 years. I'm like, dude, that is, I'm like, you didn't even start at the news station yet. And you're already saving the day. Like it's just a foreshadow. Like if, yeah. if, if you told me that and then told me the hurricane Andrew story, I'd be like, no shit. He did that. That's what he does. Yeah, if you were watching a movie, it would be like, yes, that's how that goes. (laughs) Yes, like this is what Brian does. Brian gets on the air and he makes sure that he gets the information out to the people. So, you know, I I like digging for those little nuggets. I think, you know, I think consultants sometimes in this industry get a bad rap because people don't know what they've done to get to where they are because there are a lot of shitty consultants that just came out of like McKinsey or some of these other companies that think they can apply it to the cannabis industry. But the ones who, you know, this industry is, is a decade old, if, if not longer, depending on what part of it you come from. I think the ones who have came up through the ranks deserve their, their flowers and deserve to be given a platform. And that's where my interest in you came about. Thank you. I really appreciate that past me, like accidentally quitting me would be so stoked to watch <laughs> this whole thing happen. <laughs> She'd be like, oh, thank God this works out. <laughs> At least it looks like it. Oh, I'm glad it worked out for you. And I'm glad that you did this show. I'm glad that you're in Florida. I hope that you join us as a part of C-Lab. 
And I hope to have you on in the future. I I plan on getting over to Tampa in person in the near future. Some people I want to introduce you to. Tampa's got a great cannabis community. And uh, we should do this again. Yes. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I look forward to meeting you in person. Absolutely. Uh, Plugs. Give all the plugs before we let you go. All the plugs? Yeah. Uh, Plug, plug, canstrategy.com. Just go there, you know, learn all the things, work with us. If you want to open your company, if you want help making your company crush it in the cannabis space, care for that. And then leaf sheets. If you're a startup entrepreneur, you need the documents to get started. You're like, where do I go? Who do I talk to? Who can help me? Oh, they cost way too much. Then leafsheets.com is your jam. Very cool. Well, Juliana, thank you so much for your time. And we'll definitely have you on again. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And thank you to everybody at home and watching for watching. Of course, if you missed any part of this episode, you can always catch on youtube.com slash elevate your grind or search for elevate your grind on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or any of those other bullshit podcast platforms for everything. C lab. Remember third Thursday of every month at American social www.joincelab.com or Google cannabis lab event, right? For any of the ancillary events that we might be doing folks. It's been another episode of elevate your grind. We'll see you next time.